Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to this completely unnecessary podcast for Tuesday, February, February 28th, 2017. I'm Pat Contry. I'm your host. And I'm trying to get excited to do this podcast, but, you know, um, there's some news that you guys should know about, and it's not the happiest, um, and it has to do with my co-host, and, uh, you know, we waited months to announce this, but officially, you know, it's it's one of those things where you don't want, it's, it's hard to bring yourself to talk about these things, but, you know, it's like... <laughs> What the? Wait! Wait a, wait a minute! Is that, is that Ian? Is that Ian on the singing podcast? My God! In all my years! I never thought I'd see this day! My God! It's Ian! Ian on the singing podcast! <laughs> you fucking know that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it fucking hurts. <laughs> you can hear the chants, people! Oh, God damn it. This is all his idea. <laughs> I wanted nothing to do with that. <laughs> yes, Ian is back. Kind um, of. For this completely unnecessary podcast. Until uh, I'm not. This, Ian's in pain. But we thought we'd try to tough it out here. And thanks to Ian for trying to be a part of the podcast. I'm sure people are shocked at seeing you. Some people think you're dead. Some people think I have you tied up in the dungeon. Hi, people. Uh, some people think you got AIDS and died. We're gonna you know, we're gonna do something. Hold on. For, <laughs> I just want people to you know be aware of. What are you doing? You're not. Don't, don't tweet and give it away. Ian. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. That's not what I'm doing. Uh, okay. <clears throat> Um, oh, February 28th, uh, uh, CNN headline, Trump open to deal on immigration. Okay, there, I read a headline, <laughs> I read a newspaper, <laughs> I, I read a headline, uh, from the news. It was fake! There. They have someone seen it and told Pat about that. You're not a CG clone, are you? <sighs> no. <laughs> Flesh and blood. Uh, barely. So, barely. So, Ian, we'll be talking about some stuff on the CU podcast, we're gonna do a quick, uh, uh, Ian, fire round of a uh, recap of what's been going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll also be talking about the GameStop Circle of Life program finally ending that I spoke about before. We'll be talking about uh, a Twitch streamer dying after 24 hours. Uh, we're talking about also uh, a certain NES Guidebook publisher analytics. Uh, we're talking about the $10,000 worth, worth of PAL SNES games lost and then found. And more on this mo- monumental CU podcast with Ian Barely here. So, Ian, <laughs> well, Ian, what's been going on the past four months? It's been like five or six almost. <laughs> um, a lot of laying around with the cat. 
<laughs> Not literally laying on the ground with the cat. Or with the cat. No, laying around with the cat. Oh, laying around. There has been laying on the ground with the cat uh, at points. Um, uh, I've been doing a lot of reading, uh, trying to get through, you know, video game back catalog. Video game back catalog? Uh, Have you been keeping up with the podcast in your absence? I, I tried for a while. Oh, you, you couldn't even stand just me alone? <laughs> Is that what it was? I don't listen to anything. <laughs> it's your podcast, though. <laughs> Come on. This isn't like a Path NES Punk video where you can get away with it. I was, about, know, I was about to thank you for having me guest host <laughs> on your podcast. Hey, why don't you get a guest host? Well, this is the closest thing we have, too. <laughs> I am your guest host. Um, Jesus. So, Ian, we have, we have some... I got a Christmas gift. We're behind for you. Okay, thank you. No, I, I, this, is, this is for real. I got you this Christmas gift. Yeah. So I figured I'd give it to you. You know, you can open it up and see what it is. And, you know. Figure why not. Oh, this is... I like this considerably. <laughs> it, is a, it is a cup <laughs> with Linus and, and Snoopy. And uh, I'm going to use this to drink my Pedialyte. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> So, as you all know, Ian has probably hopped up on tons of... Uh, Miracle Johnson's. What's a Miracle Johnson? So, um, <clears throat> marijuana, oh, okay. as, as you realize, <laughs> is, okay. uh, you know, um, you know, people call it marijuana, Mary Jane, um, MJ. The, the wacky tobacco. The wacky tobacco pot. It has all these names. Well, the other night I was in a lot of pain. I was watching TV, and um, Vani says, you should go smoke. Uh, your MJ's, <laughs> and she, you know, she, she's, you know, joking around with me. And I was like, yeah, I really probably should. Um, so I've been playing Yakuza, which is a, a Sega game. Wow. Well, did you listen to the last podcast where I spoke about the reprints? Yeah. yeah. Well, you did listen to that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that I did know. I, I was, <laughs> no, you didn't listen to No, I, I was aware of the Oh, reprints. you didn't listen to the podcast. Yes, which was very good. And you <laughs> tried to tell Chris Kohler that they were probably from a warehouse. I didn't say and, that. And I said was... along with it, that warehouse finds the reasons why. So, anyway. You misunderstood me. Anyway. Um, uh, Sega loves Michael Jackson. They've always loved Michael Jackson. He's been in a lot of games. They made Boonwalker, et cetera, et cetera. Uh-huh. So he's he's in Yakuza. Michael Jackson, you can do side quests in uh, Yakuza 0 that contain him. Only they call him Miracle Johnson. And I find it hilarious. That's, that's funny. So, that's so, so now, story. long story, I now call marijuana my Miracle Johnson. Okay. We got another. This is from <laughs> someone. off now. Are, is this a, are you familiar with Power Bell, the kill plan? No. Well, this was shipped to me. It's a limited edition. Limited uh, compact disc and DVD with like looks like about twelve tracks on it. I have no idea this is okay. for me or Ian. So let's just put it here for now. Okay, you can look at. It. I have no idea. All right, uh, those good old Oliver twins who uh, you know f- basically founders of the British Mario uh, Dizzy sent me Wonderland Dizzy. That's so cool. Because I, I guess I covered I covered the uh, the Kickstarter and I guess I helped them get some sales and they were cool people. They they contacted me. Discovered, rediscovered 22 years after being rewritten. Excuse me, after being written. So it's always good where the, the actual people that programmed the, yes. the Lost game actually make money at, off of it. That's, yeah, exactly. That's, that's not too common. No. <laughs> I also sent a book. And then um, I got a couple of gifts. And my apologies and Ian's apologies for not unwrapping other stuff that Ian, if you want to quickly thank everyone. Yeah, I would like to thank everyone. And I've tried to reach out on. Twitter as much as I can to thank people for gifts, and I've missed someone. Uh, I will I will try to continue to get in touch with people or just shout out if I haven't. But um, I've been buried under a mountain for six months, and it's five months, and it's been tough to 
um, do things like get in front of the camera and, and, and do a video and, and, and talk and Ooh. things like that. So if, if I've missed you, I've, believe me, I've appreciated everything. I've gotten two other gifts. PC. This one, I, I might have this one. I'm not sure. But King's Quest V, big box version. That's cool. Big box game! And then also, this one I definitely know I don't have. Star Trek 25th Anniversary. Ah! Ooh, Certified nice. gold, 250,000 sold. So thank you so much. And that one was from... Uh, Steven, who also got, gave you a present, too, that was wrapped. And uh, thanks so much for that. So, uh, Ian, uh, how does it feel to be back on this uh, completely unnecessary podcast? Weird. <laughs> are, you, are you afraid of, of me that I went off the rails the past four months, people saying past going more and more insane? Or, or are you really just that buffer that the world needs for my the, total, <laughs> the totality of me and my personality? I, I, I don't know. Um, people say... Some people said that, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm... Uh, I'm I'm a necessary counterbalance, whether they like me or hate me, or that I keep you reined in. I think, <laughs> I think which we- I think is funny because I don't think anyone actually does that, or else I just know how to be uh, split time up more. Even <laughs> I think that's you know. basically just it. Just a cap is that uh you know it's like it's like I'm I'm a I'm a, I'm a soda bottle that you shake up. And then you're just the hand that goes over the top, really, just to make sure some fizz is happening on all of it. I would say I would say this um, if. I was doing my own solo podcast. I would probably go off the rails quite a bit. You would never well. get to the first topic. You would, just, you would yeah. just talk about your cat for 14, 14 hours. Probably. Well, so let's just recap real quick, though. In the four months, besides a couple of the big ones, what what have you thought about? This could be the, the lightning round edition. <laughs> okay. The Switch, Ian. I spoke about an hour about the Switch, and I, and I thought it's going to be at least a moderate success. It's at least going to do as well as the GameCube, if not a little bit better. And I wanted to get your opinion within a minute and a half or less about what you think the Switch is going to probably do. Looks interesting. Um, I think minute and a half. I think it will. Um, I think it's interesting. I think uh, as far as hardware, it's very unique. Um, I like the KitKat style of breaking it apart. KitKat uh, controllers. That's yes, interesting. I, that's how I looked at Give it. Me a I obviously like the portability of it. I've always liked Nintendo Portables. I'm not upset about the battery life. Um, I do think the launch is extremely weak, and the people... The lineup. Yeah, the launch lineup is extremely weak. And I think that there's a lot of people who are saying, well, you know, if you look at it by the end of the year, when most people are going to be buying it, well, you know, that's a launch lineup. Well... The first year doesn't excite me. It, it, the first entire year looks like a good launch lineup, and I feel like that's what they really needed. I, I don't think psychologically it's going... I don't think... No matter how you look at it, I don't think it really looks that strong on paper. I feel like if you just look at it from the Christmas point of view, the holiday standpoint, it looks fine, but I think with its March release, and I kind of understand why they had to do it, it's still going to look like a very weak path like up the 3DS. Christmas. The yes. 3DS, the first seven, eight months, was like nothing. And the, the 3DS system. was able to turn that around, and I think the Switch can do that, but it's still treading some... That That's that's going to be a dangerous bit of territory sure. for it. Which is what, what I said, is that obviously it was a move just to make sure the shareholders have something making money in the first half of the year. They right. already have through all the pre-orders. They sold out the pre-orders. Two million shipped in March is a lot for a March sure. system. Um, it's just, can they survive until they get to at least the summer to really ramp it up? Because this is, uh, we'll talk about it later, but this isn't launching with key features that it, arguably it should have launched with sure. in terms of the OS. And there's only really one, I guess, uh, um, 
system killer game, killer app that when it launches that you can get on the Wii U, even though no one's really going to buy it for the Wii U. Yeah. So really, what is it? So my prediction was, uh, if you listen to that hour of me talking about it, no. Um, Actually, I did listen to you a did. lot. Of, I did listen to a lot of your Switch stuff. Yeah. It was okay. Yes. Uh, so I, I'm th- I'm thinking at least 24 million, somewhere to 35 in that range is probably a safe bet, which is which will be a success for Nintendo. Sure. Um, and obviously better than the, the Wii U, which sold you know less than a certain NES guidebook sold. So I mean, <laughs> that's I already got it in. I already got it in. What do you What do you think about What do you think about the the PewDiePie fallout in terms of uh, it becoming more of a well? It's the mainstream media going after a YouTuber, taken out of context. Pat's, Pat's an asshole. He's an idiot. <clears throat> He's an idiot. He's a fucking idiot. Um. <laughs> okay, so. I followed bits and pieces of this more closely than, than others, so I'm not, I'm not going to rant and rave too long about something. I, I, I will admittedly say I don't know too much about Make it. Make sure you know the context or people will get on you for that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> context. Yes, got it. Um, I, I know. He's, I, I, I doubt he's probably a Nazi, okay? No, I don't, I don't really think he's a Nazi. Um, however, they were idiotic and stupid jokes that were not funny um, made by a, a person who's probably um, rebelling against his <laughs> child star years okay um, I called him like Dana Plato I think yeah I just it was dumb and to not expect repercussions from doing that when when, when you're sitting at, at the top of that large pile um, with a target on your back being the largest yes. star be, be like what if Tom Cruise came out and did that sort of stuff you don't think people would go well, after him for that I'm, I'm, this is actually where I'm going oh Sort of is um, is to be naive, uh, and especially it was weird for me to see because he comes out and he does this, and he's under Maker, which is owned by Disney. It's family friendly. He has a lot of kids who watch him. Okay, and there's children watching this, and we're at a point right now where. Anti-Semitism, xenophobia, and all the stuff in politics is is a very real thing. Okay, now I'm not going to try to get into censoring or PCing of humor because I'm actually not for that. But this is a very touchy subject. Neither right am now. I. Okay, by the way, cause, but, because because everyone th- said I was for it, I said no. You can you can say whatever no, joke you want. You can't. But if you're underneath something like Maker, and this is being brought up and it's touchy, and and you're that big, it's going to ruffle feathers. So to expect no consequences from it is ridiculous. On the other hand, what was also odd to me was to see this circling of wagons around him to protect him in in, in the YouTube community. I guess from people, I'm not saying everyone I would have expected this from, but from, and I'm not targeting anyone because everyone did this. So this isn't me calling out anyone. This is me from sitting from the sidelines. Maybe I don't understand YouTube. I, I, I certainly haven't been... You're not a YouTuber. I, I certainly haven't been active in the club for the past five months. And even when I am, it, it's, you know, it is, to be honest, in a tangential sort of way, I guess. But um, people I saw who would go after any other celebrity or any other person for doing this same stuff was suddenly in this weird, clicky way protecting someone for doing their own thing. 
And some of these people were doing it for reasons I, I, I couldn't fathom because, as far as I know, some of these people had no direct ties to to him. Or if they did, I, they are still people I would have seen if it was a celebrity uh, that wasn't a YouTube celebrity, a movie star, a musician, a politician, you know, something like that. Um, they would have been one of the first people on the front lines condemning it. So it was just... You're saying they picked PewDiePie as their as their hill to to, to battle. It on. was just very odd. Uh, my it things... was odd seeing YouTubers that I think would either in not excuse the behavior, or at least in the past would condemn such behavior, either being silent or getting attacked if they even agreed that hey, uh, PewDiePie, you can do whatever you want, but I thought the jokes were stupid and went too far. Like Jack Septicai, a guy that he personally knew, came out and basically said the similar things that I said, where. You know, he should have expected Disney to come after him. The jokes went too far. Um, you should be more careful when you're on top. You know, but you can do whatever you want. And I don't think the guy's a Nazi. He says that and gets so much blowback from not just uh, PewDiePie fans, but quote unquote in general YouTube fans, including uh, people like Keemstar, trying to say, "Well, you stab PewDiePie in the back." This is the mainstream media going after a YouTuber, and it's just like. Trying to make no. it a bigger thing versus a guy who's just an amateur comedian mm -hmm. by his own admission, telling jokes that didn't hit the mark, mark. and also telling the same joke multiple times mm -hmm. and not hitting the mark, at least to me. Right. And, and, they're fucking shit jokes. I, th I thought it was funny, and we'll just leave it here. I thought it was funny that uh, Philip DeFranco, uh, who supported PewDiePie greatly on this, and I think has a sort of a slanted sort of uh, skewing perspective on this because he sees himself as a big YouTuber where maybe the mainstream media can come after him but he was on the Joe Rogan podcast trying to explain it and I don't think either he left out key details or he himself would be ashamed to say he was backing up PewDiePie because he mentioned the, the basically the biggest things were the two fiber jokes you can say what he wants about yeah when he bought the, the the German uniform he was he was parroting the fact that oh they're gonna think I'm racist no matter what but the fiber jokes is what really got him in trouble the first being the sign that said uh, death to all Jews that yes. he had made I don't give a shit if it was tagged with with uh, uh, subscribe to Keemstar does that mean you can tell any joke you want and just tag it to someone else and, and oh. it's okay it doesn't make any sense and that's what people like HGA Street I thought were totally wrong and off the rocker about uh, a perspective like that but then the second joke which was hiring someone like Jesus to say Hitler was right he didn't do anything wrong and he's sitting on the right hand of God Philip DeFranco failed to say that to Joe Rogan like he kept that out of it I think that might have uh, maybe persuaded Joe Rogan to think about it in a slightly different way than oh they're just attacking uh, PewDiePie taking advantage of her context he could have pushed him to the point where maybe okay this guy shouldn't have done it to this extent and it, it was going to come down on him unless he's making a much greater point than just hiring people to make shitty anti-Semitic jokes. So when, jo when when Philip DeFranco brought up, he's like, yeah, then he hired this guy dressed up like Jesus who said something but didn't actually say what he said. Which is very telling, either consciously or subconsciously, at that point. So well, obviously, politically, I have far more I could say about it. But I, on the on the non-political level, that's my fucking feeling on it. It's just. He's an idiot. So, there. Will the Switch be a success? Probably in year two. <laughs> PewDiePie? A dumbass. Real quick, we were stars of the New York Toy Fair app game. Mobile game. Oh, that's... Yes. On <laughs> a lighter note. That's great. You enjoyed that? Yeah, that was... That and was then awesome. good old Mike Kennedy came back to try trying to do a, a Patreon uh, to, to get his uh, retro magazine back up. And he had it at like 9500 a month to do one issue. And now it's he cut it down to like four grand to do an issue, which I don't know... What that tells you, Ian? What does that tell you? It just tells me he's a fucking liar. Okay, then. On to the main topics of the show. All right. <laughs>
All right, so the Circle of Life was a controversial GameStop program that Jason Schreier of Kotaku first reported on uh, via emails, where it's a point system for each store where you have to have a certain percentage uh, uh, sold of pre-owned games, new games, uh, and pre-orders. Uh, well, to, and it can be scored per employee, too. Yes. So you have a score you have to get per store, and then also per employee. It's like a video game, chums. You got a life meter. You want to keep yeah. making money? Don't die. So <laughs> the, the point of it is that, obviously, the, the profit margin is greatest on pre-owned games, used use games. Right. So it's, it's through the roof. So people, uh, GameStop employees were saying they were not told to, but strongly encouraged to dissuade customers from buying new games uh, in lieu of doing pre-owned, even if the pre-owned were less money when a new game was on sale, because that screws up your numbers, because GameStop makes less money on new game sales. Well, it's so, even more fucked up, because, and I'm sure this has all been covered, but regularly, new games will go on sale for, like, $40. Like, for instance, for, like, a month, Final Fantasy fourteen was on sale for 40 bucks, mm-hmm. or fifteen was on sale for, like, 40 bucks. yet a used copy at GameStop was still, like, fifty four ninety nine. Because they don't want to take that... That loss, exactly. That exactly. But then, who's? How are you going to convince someone to buy a used copy for fifty five? Just it, don't tell them. Does it, hey, yeah, you don't, don't tell, tell them there's new copies on sale. New copies. Well, for, well, you yeah. know why be good to customers, right? Right. So, uh, Jason uh, Schreier received a hundred emails. I received maybe seven or eight. Shows a differential, you know, <laughs> in outreach, but. You had one or two people saying, oh, I never did this at my store, but you had very convincing stories where this shit has been going on for years, but only now they're tying it to individual employees. Now they're threatening to fire you. So the good news is that GameStop is, has heard all this, and they're going to change it, the, the Circle of Life program. Uh, it will continue to monitor scores, but they're going to enact several changes that will make the program more accommodating to employees. So they're going to stop using the metric versus individual employees. Right. That is good. That is good. Uh, but they're probably going to keep it, it looks like, for stores. <laughs> so, Which is... Right, so... Your average employee who just needs a summer job or your, your, your person who's getting their, you know, their, their first job isn't going to have that soul-crushing fucking weight put on them to force, sell, force, sell, force, yeah, sell pressure. all the time. Um <clears throat> It's going to make the manager's job... The manager's job is probably going to get uh, much more difficult. However, if you've signed on to be a career company man, then, I mean, at that point, there is there should be more pressure on you. Um, <clears throat> I think that's a step in the right direction, uh, for certain. Um, and honestly, it's... God, it's going to be great for us from now on when people who used to work at GameStop um, come in and <clears throat> like uh, apply to us and we hire them. There is nothing harder and kind of more heartbreaking than trying to teach someone how to not force sell. Sure. When when that's all that's been beat into them, like over a year of working at GameStop, because we've had employees, and we have employees like that who we've we've had to unteach, but like we really don't want that at Luna, and like 
they think that that's what they're supposed to do all the time. Is or like, sell them like a, another just game just laying around. Randomly anything. just fucking hey, recommend. Do you need extra AC adapter up there? Yeah. No, it's like, what? Okay. Do you have this game? No, but we've got this one. <laughs> do you, and, and do, the, do you want to pre order Dash Galaxy, the Alien Asylum? And, what? The, and like the customer leaves, and I'm like, you know, so and so that. <laughs> game has nothing to do with the game that they were looking for. Well, you know, it's maybe the same company. No, you don't have to do that. <laughs> well, the good news is that they're going to change the metric to include new sales now to track each store's sales number against their goal. Okay. According to this article, in theory, this will prevent employees from being punished for selling new games as they've been in the past. That's just insane. Because you should just have a profit you have to reach no matter how you reach it. Doesn't that make more sense? Because even if then you fudge it a little bit to say, all right, push push used games in general, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to dissuade someone from buying a new game. No, because... You still want to make a profit, even if it's smaller. It's idiotic because... It's so stupid on a basic level. What they're trying to do is force the responsibility of shitty company ordering onto the lowest level of employees by making them sell the highest profit stuff, which is the used games, when in reality, all they need to do is monitor their ordering of new games better so that they don't end up with all of this uh, um, low profit, high cost stock laying around that they're not making money off of. So yeah, and and when, and when people get people even got on me, let alone Kotaku, saying why are you reporting on this? This GameStop is shitty, and it's like okay, we just let it go. Just corporations do whatever the fuck you want, and then the customer is just a piece of shit. Or you you have this sort of groundswell <laughs> of of disgust that comes, and then maybe something changes. And it's not just for us; it's for the poor employees that are getting pushed to do shit. My my only comparable story, I guess, I was forced to try and sell. Um, Suncoast Motion Picture Company, like, membership cars or whatever, and I would say to them, like, well, you know, you have to push it. I'm making literally five twenty-five an hour. I'm making minimum New Jersey wage doing this mm-hmm. in summer. And you got to push these cards, every person. And they, they would get on you. If you didn't, I'm like, I'm not making any money from this. What the fuck do I care if this store reaches its profit margin? Not So why don't they make this somewhat bonus-based? Incentivize employees that, okay, you have your regular goals, but then if you push all you know your, your GameStop club member card power up reward bullshit. Then you'll get I mean a, you know get a little gift card or a mochaccino at the end of the month. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just looking at you and your straggly beard. I'm glad you're back, Ian. At least for part of this podcast. Yeah, it's neat. <laughs> <laughs> so this was a this was an interesting story just because people wanted me to cover this at first when in the early goings this looked like an absolute disaster in the making. Okay, so there is a game preservationist who is in good old Garden State of New Jersey, named mm-hmm. I guess B Y U U B U B U B U, and he had a very ambitious goal. By you, yeah. <laughs> the adventure, the adventures of Bart. He had a very ambitious goal of wanting to uh, try to dump the ROM, redump the ROM of Super Nintendo uh, PAL games, and also. Uh, rescan the labels to make sure these were the you know the best ar- basically archival quality right uh, which is great and there are like cover projects that does stuff like that but for the ROMs the reason you want to do that for the ROMs and get a clean ROM is because a lot of the ROMs that are out there online either they've been altered or they're damaged they're not perfect okay. there's glitches in them which he showed in some examples where like some letters were off on like a cutscene screen so there's a lot of good reasons why you do this uh, the method though I'm going to this question slightly because this this was almost an absolute disaster that happened yeah so what happened was 
uh, he was communicating with someone from, I believe it was uh, Germany. Germany, Frankfurt, uh, to get large parcels of, of these games. One hundred at a time of, I believe, five hundred of uh, SNES PAL games. So, uh, one package worth estimated between seventy five hundred and ten thousand dollars was shipped overseas and then lost by the United States Postal Service. I was having a. I'm not even kidding. I was having a particularly bad day, laying in bed, just flopping around, just checking like Twitter, and I saw this come up, and, and I was just like, <laughs> like, just like you know, I'm done with the phone for now. I'm like, this is too, between too much news. between the news, and I'm like, I can't. It was too real for you. Enough of this shit. So the first, I'm going uh, back to bed. The first shipment of a hundred went went smoothly. The second hundred went missing, and then no one could find it at USPS, even with the tracking number. He just got a torn label. So I, I think what, what, what the story came out, it looks like what happened was, uh, the good news is that, spoilers, <laughs> they found it. Yeah. The, the Postal Service went high and low searching for this, and this is what made it hard. So, so this when this was packed, I guess they put like a wrapper over the top, mm-hmm. like say like a, like, a, like a brown wrapper. And put the label on that, and the automated, I guess, USPS uh, system, the machinery, tore off the shipping label after it arrived in the U.S. That's bad, Ian. Yeah, that's not good at all. How do you know where this thing is or what it is? So picture this being in a huge warehouse somewhere. They got to just sift through to try to find it. Uh, But they eventually did. And there's, I mean, it's a fluke accident in terms of losing mail. Because this could happen one out of a thousand times. It could happen, you know, never. Uh, but the danger of, of this when you're going overseas, it, I think it just compounds the, just the uh, customs, something weird happening, uh, potential stolen mail. I've heard when stuff goes to certain countries. Brazil right. used, so, used to be a bad one. I'm not sure about it anymore, where stuff either goes missing or you can't find it. But the good news is that I guess they searched a huge, gigantic warehouse in Newark, New Jersey, or wherever this ended up, and they found the package. That's the good news. Uh, here and so this can continue on. I would caution against doing this in general, though. Yeah, just because the logistics of doing this and the danger involved with shipping, and I'm not not because this, this person's reputable. There could be people that aren't reputable doing this. But they've changed, they, and they've also changed how they're going forward with this. They're only going to do it in small batches on loan, and yeah, I mean, in general, though, <laughs> I would recommend having someone go to this local collector in Germany and bringing over their own. ROM copier and whatever their own scanning machine and just so the games aren't even ever put into this danger. Again, this is a weird case of this happening, but it can happen and I can't imagine, first of all uh, even, uh, what's his name, BU even started, uh, I think he put up a GoFundMe because he felt so awful about this collector losing almost $10,000 worth of games. Um, He felt guilty as hell. Imagine what the collector's feeling. Some of these games are hard to find, Mm -hmm. you know, you may not ever. It might take you years to get these 500 games back. Depending, maybe you don't have the money to do it. Maybe you know the insurance won't cover it. Whatever else, it's just a. This isn't the best way to doing this. I I applaud this this person for doing this. This isn't the the best most efficient way of doing this. Setting stuff thousands of miles one way and back. It just it scares the shit out of me even before this happened. That's all. And just this is the sort. This is the sort of package that this is the exact sort of thing that this happens to. Sure. This this would never happen with a box of dirty sheets. 
or <laughs> or you know fucking plastic solo containers that you put salsa in on the side or you know have you ordered those i didn't... i i was thinking of like big boxes i used to get in my restaurant days and i'm just thinking of large packages okay those never get lost it's always we always like that he's thinking of large packages it's <laughs> It's always 100 very rare PAL SNES games that go missing. Yes, of course. And according to those, those hard-to-find ones, I'm sure there's ones out there that you know are a 9 out of 10 scale of rarity. Oh, I mean, you could you could successfully ship 100 common Famicom games back and forth across the sea all day long, and nothing's going to happen. Not, not, not to belabor the point, but that's why when a lot of these even big-ticket item games, uh, people will fly out and collect them, as I did for one particular game. Why risk it? Right. Why risk it even if it's a 1% chance? Unless you get that, like, registered courier where, like, you hire someone that's always with the package. You can have the potential uh, for disaster. But, Ian, they were found. I hope they just have a better, more efficient way of uh, of copying these ROMs going forward. And it's a, it's a great project. I'm just happy it turned out well. Ian, you know, this is a story that is it's, it's heartwarming. It's a little bit dear to our hearts. Um, we have we have a semi connection to this, and I'm familiar with this individual, this wacky bastard, this this insane <laughs> bastard, this guy. All right, so Peter Delgado, the Mexican runner, uh, world famous decathlon runner. Right? No, no. Last name I will not, I will not butcher Kuz- your Kuzelchuk. last. Will not butcher your last name, good sir. Uh, has beaten every. Licensed NES game, including the Pale releases. Uh, it took... He started in 2014, and it took him, what, three years? How many hours? Over 3,000 hours to complete the challenge. And... 3,400 uh, hours. 3,400 30, 3, hours. Okay. And this is 714 games, and he did this all live on Twitch. That's the... That's the insane part. That's the very, very insane part. And he uh, finished with Super Mario 3, which I feel is a very, very fitting uh, game to end end it on. Absolutely. Mario 3, Zelda, any one of those would have been perfect. And, uh, I mean, congrats. I, in, it, it's funny to me because um, I remember thinking when we did that NES marathon, the first one, like people were like, You're gonna, you guys are going to beat all of them? I'm like... Yeah, no. we're gonna beat every game. I'm like, no one would be that fucking stupid. <laughs> no one, no one it, could do well, that. It took us 31 hours just, just to, to play, play every like game like a, for like a minute. 31 hours, and then, and then you know, it, and just to, just to clean them all. But I mean, he used the real games too. Here's the guy who actually fucking did it, and that's awesome. Um, I, I just I can't even imagine that. That's dedication. So yeah, I. And not just that, he really played all the power play games using the peripherals. He even com- I completed, I guess, the best you can, Miracle, Miracle Piano, Piano, which isn't technically a game now. It's <sighs> not even a game really according to Nintendo. It's more like, you know, uh, one of those weird out there sort of titles, creativity title or whatever. But he did that too. So that's what's most impressive. Anyone can just even put them on an emulator and play them. But like, get out your power pen. I can't imagine trying to beat Street Cop easily. No. <laughs> or no. Super Team Games. No. You almost had a heart attack when you played me last time mm-hmm. of that. But to do that and then to learn the piano enough to do like Miracle Piano, uh, to do To the Earth on the Zapper, uh, which is a very hard game. game. And he was using the Zapper. That is incredibly impressive. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm nuts. I'm impressed all around. We're not talking save states. We're not talking um, 
uh, cheats as far as I know. We're just talking real hardware, real games. Man up and do it. You know? yeah. And I'm sure for some games, we're like, like you can roll through Donkey Kong, you know, in like five minutes. But then, yeah, get to freaking uh, Nobunaga's Ambition 2. Have fun for 25 <laughs> hours beating that right. after you figure out how to play. You know what I mean? So uh, my hat's off to him. Yeah. It's very impressive. I'm guessing this is the only thing he did for like, you know, two and a half, three years. I can't imagine him splicing this in with other games at the same time. No. Uh, but uh, I yeah. would like to shake his hand. It's hey, very impressive. You know what? You got a free uh, certain NES guidebook. Uh, if you're watching this, Peter, <laughs> I'll send you at least, you know, I got to send you one, right? I got to do that. I wonder what his. Uh... I, I um I wonder if he had like any like major setbacks like any battery wipes or anything like that. Or, oh, if he's playing like Nobunaga's ambition or, or and just wiped out. Yeah, or I mean maybe he did emulate some. I mean I don't know. It doesn't state he he had any uh any uh if he had a full set or anything. But I mean I, it doesn't imply he used any cheats or anything. I I mean I'm I'm it, it, I believe it says he he uh I real, mean, he did it all legitimate. Yeah, it was real hardware. Yeah. Um, so, so even if he used a flash card, some flash cards have save states, but whatever. I know I, I'm I'm assu- I'm of the belief it's all legitimate. I'm just wondering. No. I'm just wondering how he protected himself against no. things like batteries and. Should he shit. come back for some of the unlicensed games? It's not that many in comparison. I think he should. I, I mean, I why was... the hell not? That's my that's my thinking. It's just why not. I mean, besides you know the fact that they're broken as fuck. No, they're not. The Tengen games aren't broken. Well, no, the Tengen they're, games aren't. Why, why can't he play Rolling Thunder and get through that? Sure. You know, Action 52, they're all fairly short. Those are broken, but he can probably get through. We'll say you, you got to beat 20 of them. <laughs> 20 of the Action 52 games, and it counts. I, you know. I feel like he's... Wally Bear, you can... You can Wally Bear's a good, a good game. No, but it's not broken. It's a good... It's It's an okay game. I like Wally Bear. I'm going to check a certain NES guide app to see what it, what it rates, but it's not. It's not. I I find Wally Bear to be an acceptable game. <laughs> One and a half stars according to a certain NES guide app. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I find it to be charmingly okay. Charmingly okay. <laughs> now now we're just, the, the bar is <laughs> okay. getting lower. Ian okay. in limbo's under the Wally Bear bar. Anyway, I would not. I it's feel magically like, mediocre. I, Wally I feel, Bear. I feel like he's earned a pass and does not ever have to pay, play Raid 2020. Oh, wow. <laughs> Raid okay. 2020. Okay. We got you there. Or no one to... has to do that. No. He doesn't have to do that. So, uh, hats off to you, Peter. We'll, we'll see you. We'll see you next time when you decide to take five years to beat all the, you know, the Atari 2600 games or whatever. <laughs> no, actually, that'd be pretty easy or easier, the Atari 2600 games, because most of them have an easy scenario. And by the way, for games like Tetris, before you ask, I think they, the way that he gauged if it be, was beaten is if you can't really do anything else or you couldn't advance it in any sure. way. If it's a game that loops, you know, like a game like uh, like Donkey Kong, for example, I brought before, it loops. So what's beating it? Going through it twice? You know, that, that counts. All right. We're going to jump to the scumbag sellers of the week. Because it's an amusing story, and I'm running out of steam. Ian, do you mean the scumbag? The scumbag! Seller! Seller! Sellers! Oh! Sellers! Oh! The week! The week! The week! Oh, we got, we got Frank calling in. What, <laughs> what the shit? Frank, what's going on? We got a singular. <laughs> Frank? What's, why are you calling? How do I make my new phone ring louder? What, you got a new phone? Yeah. What, did you get an iPhone? Yeah. Oh, my God. Frank got an iPhone. Yeah, well, 
I'm learning how to ride a bike, and I miss the brakes, but I think I can do it. I already sent a text. The problem is I can't hear it when it rings, <laughs> and also they gave Go me take a, a, break. a free tablet, too. You got a free tablet. Frank, let me call you right back. Say hi to Ian. We're recording the podcast yeah, right now. That was all. I just wanted to see if I could actually call you, and I did. All right. See you later. Bye. Uh, Frank, okay. Bye, Frank. Frank, Frank, got, Frank got an iPhone and a tablet? Oh, what a momentous fucking podcast this is. <laughs> Do you want to take a short break or keep going on? No, I, I'm going to get through this one and I'm done. Okay. All right. So. <laughs> holy fucking shitballs. <laughs> Both in terms of pain level, this <laughs> next topic, and Frank calling you. You got an iPhone out of nowhere. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> and a tablet. He knew how to call you <laughs> to ask you. Yes, how to was turn a- up the volume on his phone ringer. <laughs> oh, what a fucking time we live in. <laughs> okay. Hey, what's your scumbag sellers of the week? The scumbag sellers of the week are people now trying to sell modded NES Classic Editions <laughs> on eBay. A mod that anyone can do to put hundreds... <laughs> what's, what's the count? What are we up to now? You can put like 600 games on these fucking things? Yeah, you, can put, yeah, you put almost 700 before the thing starts to crash, because I think it's only like 500 meg of space <laughs> or so. Okay. So... so Oh, okay, okay. We'll do one more after this too. I see. We'll do a, we can, we'll see. We'll do one we'll, we more. We can break in. No, I can't. I, we'll get through the top. You do not push me. All right, but I really want to do this next one as well. So, anyways, I find this humorous. Um, not just because there are people doing this, but because um, this has reinvigorated something that that used to happen a lot at the store. I now have people calling me, trying to sell NES classics back to the store used. Now, we won't take them used anyways because they are, at the base of it, they're plug-and-plays. And we don't take plug-and-play units. By the way, the good news is that these aren't selling for a huge, huge amount. They're selling for about between 150 and $175 for, for some of these. So it's not like people... Are, I mean, it's not much higher than what these are selling for being scalped anyway. Okay. So... We won't take them because they're they're at the base. If they're plug and play units. I can't warranty them, and at this point, they're they're still too hard for me to come by to offer replacements for. Um, if, if one were to break, uh, from what I understand, they're fairly sturdy, but I won't take them in. But now I've got people calling me up, trying to sell me these things. I'm like, no, we don't take them, and they're like, even if uh, even if it's got twice as many games as advertised. <laughs> It's like it's like a little stir 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 in the pot. You, Trying to fucking feel me out and like drop a bomb on me, and I'm like, like, "Whoa, wait a second! And I'm like, it's like it's like free games." I'm like, no, and they're like, they're like, you could sell it for like twice as much as I'm willing to sell it to you for, and I'm like, no, no, I can't. And they're like, we'll we'll give you like a list of games and extra. I'm like, no, I said that's illegal. I can't do that. And they're like. All right, well, you're lost. We'll just take it to Craigslist. I'm like, okay, you take it to Craigslist. That's fine. But even weirder is... So this modding of these these NES Classic Editions, it's all over websites. Uh, Polygon, Kotaku, I'm sure, like, all these you know sites have articles on how this is blown up and how the tons number of, of things... Yeah, tons of articles. I mean, I've seen it mostly through Twitter, but... Like, like we rediscovered what ROMs were. Right, we've rediscovered what ROMs were, we've rediscovered what modding, these modding systems and hacking these things are, um, is. So, 
I've had a lot of people looking for regular Xbox systems again, because Xbox modding, in Southern California at least, has seemed to become very popular again. And the flip side of that now is, I have fuckers trying to call me, or calling me, trying to sell me modded Xbox again, Xboxes again, with literally the same logic as the people who are trying to sell me these modded NES classics. Just the other day, I had a guy try to sell me, uh, uh um, he, no, the exact phone call was. Ring, ring, ring. Well, video games, how can I help you? Uh, what's you guys' price on modded Xboxes? Uh, I we don't sell them. No, what do you guys buy modded Xboxes for? I'm like, we we don't. Dude, these have literally hundreds and hundreds of games <laughs> on them. And I'm like, that's not an item we buy. All right. And hangs up the phone. I'm like, I haven't, I haven't had someone call and ask me that question years in like seven or eight years. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's like now within a week, I've had like two people call about buying modded Xboxes and like three people who are now trying to sell me like modded NES classics. It, it's it's insane, and and now I I just I won't we wouldn't take them in the first place, and now I just I won't take it as classic because <laughs> would you take one even unopened, or no? Is that still risky if something was been done? No, to I mean maybe unopened, but it, honestly, for me, it's really the fact that if if it's something like that that I'm like a plug and plays, which are you know generally in the past were always fragile. If it's not something that's easily fixable, replaceable. Or repairable, I, I I don't want it because I can't warranty someone. I mean, sure, I could give them their money back, but with something like that that someone really wants, they're gonna be pissed if it breaks. Even if I, you know, give them a full cash refund, they're still not selling for MSRP. By the way, your store can't even order them normally to sell, right? They're no, still, we, still, we still can't. They're, they're still they're still getting stocked. I mean, people are tweeting me every day. They bought one at their local Best Buy or GameStop. They're still getting out there. That was I I probably did four podcast segments while you were gone just on the NES Classic Edition and Nintendo promising they're back in stop and saying, stock and saying, well, we weren't aware of the demand. And it's just like someone should be thrown off the roof of Nintendo headquarters for not realizing what the demand was. So for for just doing something shitty on eBay, that's not legal anyway, selling ROMs, which is popular, uh, and also for ruining Ian's day, you all are the scumbag seller of the week. All right, this is literally it. I need a big boy nap. But let's talk about something fun that someone did. All right. Well, this is this is Ian's topic here. This is this is this is going to be something special. But there's always we've always had sort of a conversation, Ian and I, about uh, what are the worst NES game publishers and, and developers, and you know, the common perception always was that LJN right was the worst publisher. Partially popularized by a certain angry video game nerd character on YouTube. I've heard of him. You might have. I, uh, I think I've, I know who he is. You might have had a taco with, with the person that <laughs> plays him. taco in the beer uh, But then there was also questions about the developer. And then you brought up before a great point about the, the rare games usually are below average in general. Yes. There's a reason why a lot of rare games are rare, because they sucked and didn't sell. But, but before now, how did you know that? How did you quantify all these game scores based upon developer and and rarity and publisher? And well, even first, genre? well, first, 
a certain book needed to exist. <laughs> a together, certain book? Together. Yeah. All this information into one place. You mean a certain book that would t- t- tell you the year the ga- uh, game came out, the genre, developer, publisher, and rarity? Hardbound in an attractive volume, perhaps about six pounds. And maybe a reviewer painstakingly wrote all these, and then you put a star rating for each order to get this information on paper? Okay. Very yeah. thick 105-page weight paper? All right, the joke's done. <laughs> well, someone did that. Yeah. Someone did that. They recorded, but then after that book was out, recorded the information down, which if, if, if I was smart, someone might have done beforehand in order to come up with this data. But you know, a certain NES uh, guide app can kind of do it. But this was emailed to me. This was email, emailed. Uh, this was emailed by... Da, 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 da. Uh, oh God! Where's the where's the where's the information? This is bad if I can't find the information. The person did that. Ian, take it away while I'll find the information. All right. Well, well, where's the information? Well, well, Pat looks it up. This person compiled all of this information in a, a very nice way. So, the the first thing that we Samuel at, Samuel, Samuel d- d- uh, compiled this information, um, and sent it to me in a shared Google Doc. And it's just very fun to go by. So this is, of course, by uh, the guide, the guidebook's uh, standards and ratings. But the first thing that it was broken down into is Mean Star by Rarity. And this actually is... To Not Mean Gur, average. Yeah. Um, it's... So... From very con- the the lowest amount of stars awarded seems to have been uh, awarded to the extremely rare titles, which actually falls right into line with what uh, I've basically always said. Most of the rare games are not worth owning. So there, so according to a certain NES guidebook, there's seven sort of uh, descriptors of, of availability: extremely rare, very rare, rare, um, very uncommon, uncommon, common, and very uncommon. They flip the, the, the tags up at the same score, thankfully. So extremely rare, the average score out of five-point scale was 1.2. Very rare, the average uh, rating was 1.6. Rare, 2.2, which is right below the average of 2.5. And then uncommon, very uncommon and uncommon were both 2.9, which is just under above average. Uh, common, 3.0 on the dot, which is uh, above average. And then very common, the most common games, 3.3, which is just under uh, a good, quote-unquote, good game. So it makes sense when you think about it, mm-hmm. though, that the games that are very common are the most popular ones and common games. Why wouldn't they be the best games? Those ones that sell the best, by and large. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, then we go down to the question they ask. And, and I love that they reference uh, the book as like, this is like a scientific re- you know, journal review. Yeah, I like it too. Um, so the question, wasn't LJN the worst NES publisher? And honestly, by halfway through, I mean, doing any amount of, I think, reviews on this book, um, it became pretty obvious who the worst was to anyone working But we kind of knew before that. Though. Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, but by far... The worst um, uh, publisher on the NES was THQ. This is with ten or more published titles. Yeah, that ten and, or more published. And this titles. includes uh, unlicensed publishers as well. Yes, this includes unlicensed publishers. You had to have ten or more publish uh, t- titles published, and uh, far and away, uh, THQ is the worst publisher. And I am going to use the app to bring up the games while we talk about them. Yeah, because uh, THQ is miserable. Ready uh, with such wonderful titles as Home Alone Two: Lost in New York. I'll run down all of them because it's not that many. Okay. The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle, one star. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, two stars. The Great Waldo Search. 
one star. Home Alone, one and a half star. Home Alone 2, one star. James Bond Jr., two stars. Peter Pan and the Pirates, two stars. Red and Stimpy Show, Buckaroos, three stars I gave that. Swamp Thing, Ian gave that one star. I believe you would do that. Videomation, the creativity title, uh, two and a half stars. Wayne Gretzky Hockey, one star. (laughs) Wayne's World, one star. Might be generous. And Where's Waldo, half star. Could have gave it a bomb. I was generous that day. Yeah, they're awful. LJN, uh, LJN jumps, 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 uh, half, uh, point, point six stars to 2.1. That's a significant difference. So the average LJN game is 2.1. The third then is a claim at 2.4. Oh, by the way, these are licensed publishers, not unlicensed. Oh, okay. These are just licensed. So if you put in Color Dreams, though, Color Dreams would probably be around 1.5. Yeah. It would be in that neighborhood. Yep. I think so. Are, do any of these surprise you as you go through some of these scores? Data East being about average at 2.6, I think that's about fair. That's about right. Um, I am actually... Um, I'm surprised at Tengen, actually. was Is that high? I feel like that's surprisingly high at 3.7 yes i because i'm trying to figure out what tengen could have put out well that was so highly rated that would have let's let's see <laughs> wait i can tell you tengen was it my glowing rbi baseball review <laughs> <laughs> i reviewed rbi baseball uh, all right this is this is why alien syndrome three stars Gauntlet, three and a half stars. So they probably Clax, just... Clax, three up. and a half stars. Miss Pac-Man, five stars. Mm. Pac-Man, four stars. Uh, RBI Baseball, a one, two, and three. I give it three and a half stars for all of them. Rolling Thunder, four stars. Uh, Tetris, four and a half stars. You're all softy. Uh, for what, Tetris? No, I just mean you're you're softy in general. Oh, I was too generous to some of these, you think? Eh, no. But, no I didn't review all of these. No, I'm just saying, okay, so they hovered around average. Um, no, it didn't. Tecmo did not surprise me at all. Hudson Soft did not surprise me. Taito did not surprise me. I am su- uh, Capcom is exactly the same as Tengen, so that's not surprising. No, that's, that's point one off. Okay. It's Konami's three point five. Oh, okay. Capcom three point six. Tengen three point seven. Taito three point seven. The B three point seven, and then the winner. Tecmo doesn't surprise. That doesn't surprise Tecmo me. at three point eight, according to uh, the stats by me, Ian, and five other writers. Uh, is the was the highest rated NES publisher, Tecmo? Does that surprise you at all? No, it doesn't. When you think about the general quality of Tecmo's games, it doesn't surprise me at all. I'll just run through Tecmo's real quick here. Uh, this was almost worth it for the app. Uh, <laughs> Bad News Baseball four stars. Fire and Ice four stars. Money Bomb Jack three stars. Ninja Gaiden one and two four and a half. I gave four stars to Ninja Gaiden 3. Rygar, three and a half. Solomon's Key, three and a half. Star Force, three. Tecmo Baseball, three. Tecmo Bowl, four and a half. Tecmo Cup Soccer, three. NBA Basketball, four. Super Bowl, five. Tecmo World Cup Soccer, three. Tecmo World Wrestling, four. All, I mean, all, is there a bad one out of those? No. All enjoyable, at least competently uh, done games. Right. You could even say for Konami and Capcom, there were some misfires, you know, in there. But not for Tecmo. Good old Tecmo. You know? And then means star rating by licensed developer with five or more publishers. No, there's titles. a lot more developers than publishers. Right. So we can't go through All a lot of, them, of these. But yeah, it, it honestly it doesn't surprise me. The, the the low end and the top end of this is not actually um, <clears throat> particularly uh, surpri- uh, surprising. There is one that does stick out um, a little bit, and it's Atlas, which is in the lower third 
um, at 2.8. It's still above average. It's though. above average, um, but you know, Atlas today, as a as a publisher and as a developer, is seen as almost untouchable um, in the world of RPGs and, and, and other quirky type games. Sure. Um, but you know, everyone starts somewhere, and uh, you know, Atlas did things like MLB Baseball, you know, published by LJN, not a very good game. And even though I, <sighs> even though I like it. Um, uh, Karate Kid was an Atlas game. I mean, not exactly, you know, well, you a, gave a it, stellar. You gave it three stars, though. Yeah. And I gave Jaws three stars. So, I mean, it's not <laughs> like these are bad games. No, they're not the worst. Uh, Nintendo R&D 4, uh, with their huge jump up, what, uh, what they... What was the what was the amount of games they published? I'll tell you in a second. I was just I was just <laughs> going for the Atlas games, but Atlas was saved by stuff like Bonk's Adventure, yeah, as well. They were part public uh, part, part along with Red. Uh, okay, so we're, the, we're doing Nintendo R and D four. So Nintendo had uh, uh, like five different branches of developers. Yes. EAD. So R and D four did. They only did five games. <laughs> okay. Uh, Legend of Zelda, the Super Mario uh, trilogy, and Zelda two. Okay, well, yeah. That, that sort of explains that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you can't really... That's screw. almost not fair. You, can, yeah, you almost can't, can't, really, can't really... That's like the Miyamoto that wing, right? That's right. Like, <laughs> you, you can't really... Uh, that's almost not fair to put that on there, but Koei makes excellent games. Tecmo, we just talked about. Nam- Namco. The, Namco. The, the Co. The Co. The Co. Compile. Culture Brain. Taito always is, is high up there. Capcom, Natsumi, and Konami. HAL Laboratory is always strong. Techno Japan. Uh, Sunsoft, Hudsoft, the top 15, Bally Midway, Vic Tokai sneaks in there. The top half are there, then Atari Games sort of divides it right there in the middle there. Uh, that's a fascinating, now for by developer. That's great. Going down a little more, uh, mean star rating by license status. This is, we all know. No. I'm, I'm actually surprised it's not close, but it's significantly different. Uh, the average license game is a 3.0, which is above average. Average unlicensed is 2.2, which is near below average. So... Well, you figure that... Almost a full star. But Tengen's buoying up the unlicensed side a a ton. If you were to remove Tengen from unlicensed... Yeah, it'd be like 1.5 probably versus like 3.5. You're right. So it actually is kind of significant. And then uh, R&D 4, and then you go by Nintendo, and yeah, that's that's interesting. Nintendo in general, a 3.1 is for the arcade games. Um, what about the different genres on the NES? Which were the best? According to the country, 2006. <laughs> you gotta, you got to check this out. I'm allowed to share this. So, the best genre overall. It's not fair since there's not that many, but includes Ian's favorite game. The maze genre is the highest rated genre on the NES. Why are you looking like I'm crazy? My favorite game. Clue Clue Land yeah. is a maze game. game. Sure. So, But you only have Pac-Man, Clue Clue Land... Uh, you have Miss Pac-Man, and really, what else is there? Uh, I'll, give me one second. Paddle and Ball, 3.8. There's only two games <laughs> that are Paddle and Ball in the Arcanoid NES. Arkanoid and Thunder and Lightning. Yeah. I'm, uh, maybe one more, but that's it. Uh, fighting, 3.5. There's only a, a There's three one. or four. No, there, no, no, no. You got Best of the Best. Oh, okay. Which I gave four and a half stars. Right. Um, uh, Ninja Turtles, uh a uh, Torment Fighter, I think I gave four and a half stars. So that's those two right there. There's not many. There's not that many other than that, though. You count Mike Tyson's Punch Out. I think I split that genre. Based up. on number, some of this falls apart a little bit. Sure, but you know, <laughs> we're, not, we're not looking at significant difference. We're, right. we're, this is just sure. a, 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 you know just an average. Uh, what was I going to look up? Which ones you want me to look up? All right. 
I don't remember. The lowest uh, mean compilation point eight, and that's only that's only there's only like ten games that are compilation carts. But the big ones are Action Fifty Two is abysmal, uh, and Myriad and, slash Caltron, and that just kills it right there. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that once you get those two in there, then the other ones were usually not rated right because Donkey Kong Classics. You, you can't really rate that as much because those, those aren't independent uh, games, uh, right there. Right. Uh, and then going down, um, and is that it? That's it. So, so play those maze games. Oh, I was looking at what the maze games were. That's oh what I was yeah. Up. Uh, this is going to be so. That's that's the key to you life. You know what? For third edition, if Tag and Dragon is not maze game, it might have to be. Did you not make Tag and Dragon a maze game? You reviewed that. Uh, I, we did not have maze game as a was it genre was it set back that early? Uh oh. Oh, there's a reason to do a third print. Now. <laughs> Tag and Dragon is kind that's of kind of a versus maze game. I would say that's more action still, though, because your 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 main objective isn't to collect stuff, but to kill enemies. That's one of those in the middle ones. Maybe it's a secondary genre. <laughs> hey, I'm being honest here. I got I got to justify myself. Not like an idiot here. <laughs> okay. Oh no, maze games. Bomberman is is part action, part maze. And Bomberman Two, Clue Clue Land, Devil World, and that's yeah. a strong game. Digger T Rock could count. Uh, Miss Pac-Man, Pac-Man, Pac-Mania, and then Trog, the Great Trog. The Great Trog. That's what we forgot about. So remember, if it made it to the NES's maze games, probably pretty good. So, uh, so how you feeling, Ian? I'm done. You done? I'm done. You, you got? You want to go home? You want to talk about the the code SNES nope. game? All nope. Right. I'm, I'm good. That was fun. I'm gonna let uh, Pat Country take you all home. Hey, you made it literally an hour. Did I? It was like an hour on the dot. So that, okay. now we know your benchmark for <laughs> sick Ian. It's an hour. We got you. Holy crap. All right. Ian's going to go. I'm going to come back and record a few more topics by myself. Time for some sponsor ad reads. Loot Crate. On a quest for epic gear, housewares, and collectibles, Loot Crate offers an epic range of pop cultural items for less than 20 bucks a month. Whether you're shopping for the geek in your life or if you are that geek, no one will talk to you. No. Loot Crate is the best surprise you know is coming. Every month there's a different theme and new exclusive items you can only get with Loot Crate. Treat yourself every month or give the gift of geeking out to a friend or loved one. Check out LootCrate.com slash Pat and enter code Pat, P-A-T, to save 10% on any new sign-up. The March theme. The roar in the distance is a call. Will you answer it? This month we're going primal and unleashing the beasts of some of pop culture's most ferocious franchises. This savagely sweet collection has items from Overwatch, Wolverine, shink, shink, Jurassic World, and Predator. I can't do it. And includes, as always, our monthly tea and pin. Additional important points to talk about. Uh, you have until March 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive the Primal Crate. When the cutoff happens, it's over. you got to wait till the next month to get the next one. Again, it's lootcrate.com slash pat. Enter code PAT to save 10% on your new subscription. Twinkadia on YouTube. Twinkadia is an awesome reality show filmed at an arcade bar, otherwise known as a barcade. When you mix booze, beer, and arcade games with a staff full of geeks, you get serious entertainment. Check out their YouTube show to see an exclusive behind-the-scenes look at what it means to work hard and play hard, too. If you love retro gaming, beer, and a little bit of jackassery, search for Twincadia on YouTube. That's T-W-I-N-C-A-D-I-A on YouTube. Leave a comment. Tell them you heard about it from the CU Podcast. That helps out. Uh, it helps us out and, you know, 
makes them know that people are, you know, listening to this this bad ad read I'm doing right now. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> Twinkadia, proud sponsors of the CU podcast. Uh, good to have Ian back for even an hour. It was always an hour on the dot that he was able to be with us for. But there's some topics left uh, to cover as well. Uh, I'm going to first talk about the stolen switch that made uh, headlines uh, about a week ago. That, well, that somehow a sw- some switches got into people's hands that it shouldn't have happened. So Nintendo came out and had to say officially, yes, a small number of Switch units were stolen and leaked Switch was uh, illegally resold. Uh, they had to comment that be- because uh, there's people that have now on Twitter, uh, even before, by the time you hear this, this, this story doesn't matter anymore because the Switch is out. But what happened was some, some people on Twitter uh, took pictures on Twitter, and then there was unboxing videos, and even videos shown of people turning the, the Switch on and showing the OS. Uh, on this IGN article, Nintendo Switch operating system menu details leaked on February 16th. Uh, Nintendo representative provided the following statement to IGN. Earlier this week, individuals claimed to prematurely purchase a small number of Nintendo Switch items uh, systems from an unspecified retailer. Nintendo has determined these units were stolen in an isolated incident by employees of a U.S. distributor, ooh, off the back of a truck, with one system being illegally resold. Reseller! The individuals involved have been identified, terminated from their place of employment, and are under investigation by local law enforcement, uh, and lo- local law enforcement authorities on criminal charges. So they're in trouble already. They are in trouble. As I get someone contacting me on my phone. Uh, so... Again, geez, stop! I'm doing this story! A new YouTube video showcases more of the Nintendo Switch user's interface, including its menus, the process for creating a new system user, and more. The problem with this, at least to me, or issue, is that it really doesn't matter, even the fact that the system's just about out, but the exclusive footage, all it really shows is that there really isn't much to do on the Nintendo Switch on launch, if you don't have a game. For it, yeah, you can set up the, the you can set up the day and time. That's fantastic. You can uh, sync up your Joy Cons to your TV. You can set the you know the month and year. That's great. You can test the kickstand. You can select the icon. Uh, you know you can put your name in. Uh, router setup. You know your Wi-Fi as Ian as Ian as Frank says the Wi-Fi or Wi-Fi. Uh, you can, if you find out you know you can you can look at the news. You can look at the Nintendo eShop. Uh, you can set up your me if you don't have a Nintendo, uh, you know, uh, password and uh, avatar yet. You can do that stuff. Look at the system memory, change the you know the, the background or black and white and the themes. There, this doesn't this isn't mind blowing stuff. If you had a Nintendo Wii or, or Wii U or a 3DS or DS, you kind of know what happens when you buy a Nintendo system at this point. So this isn't this wasn't groundbreaking. This really didn't tell us anything new besides the fact that again, it's a pretty barren OS at this point. Pretty barren. This got six hundred fourteen thousand views. People were curious, but what we know at this point is that the Nintendo Switch isn't launching with the Virtual Console for the older games. You know, you know if you NES, Super Nintendo, N sixty four, maybe GameCube. You know your PC Engine games that are on there, Sega Genesis, what have you. I know that they're talking about finally syncing your past purchases uh, from the eShop or Virtual Console uh, to sync up from your Wii U and 3DS sales. Hopefully, so you don't have to rebuy them again on the Switch. That's great. Uh, I wish it could have been available now at the launch, but 
if it's available within a few months, that's fine. No Netflix at launch, uh, and I think no web browser as well. So what you're getting, if you didn't know by now, you're getting an open beta that you paid $300 for with a Nintendo Switch. The paid subscription service isn't even uh, coming out until the fall. So for the first five months, six months, you got an open beta. You got an open beta. You, you have some launch games, not a huge amount. So don't expect this to, you know, be mind-blowing, uh, the Nintendo Switch, until you get into the fall, until you have a lot more games, until you have that Super Mario uh, Odyssey game on the way as well. And goes to show you, you can check out this video. I'm looking at it right now. There's nothing that I'm watching this video. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Data manage it. Screen burn-in reduction. Adjust the screen size. TV re- uh, resolution. Wow. It, it blink, and it, this is a, a Wii U tablet if you blink uh, real quickly. So again, not that big a deal, but I guess it's interesting. And more importantly, the people that stole these to sell them wasn't worth it, I don't think, because now they're going to get prosecuted, and you got some, uh, you know, at least a misdemeanor going on, and you're fired from your job. This is a story that Ian wanted to speak about, but he can only go for about an hour before the pain. Uh, unfortunately, had to now I had to take him home. He has to rest now, but we thank Ian for even being on the podcast for an hour. Hopefully, in the future, he can continue doing at least that. But can't make any promises. I can't really push him too much. But that said, this is a topic he wanted to talk about. Uh, fan alters code to newly discovered Super Nintendo game refuses to share the original code. This is a game a platformer named Quick the Thunder. Rabbit. So, the real phoenix of Assembler Games forums uh, got his hands on the ROM for this game, Quick, like, almost like Nestle Quick, Q-U-I-K, uh, and it was an unreleased Super Nintendo remake of an Amiga title. Uh, it goes from uh, platforming to uh, auto-scrolling shooter to a fighting game. There's screenshots on here that are very interesting because you see on the left side of the screenshot, it's just a regular platformer, like any other the you know 150, 200 Super Nintendo platformers that were out. But then there's a pretty sophisticated looking fighting game it turns into. This is bizarre on its surface. I really have to check this game out at some point. So what's interesting to this though is that uh, the person on the Assembler Games forum, the Real Phoenix, decided to not release the unedited ROM, but put up uh, an altered ROM. Um. This is problematic, and I'm not saying this is the end of the world, but you have to have the unedited ROMs available, because that's the actual history. Once you start making changes, for example, uh, putting on a title screen that was not present on the original ROM, even if you think that adds to the experience, you're altering the game's history. You're altering what was actually done in, in the development and publishing cycle of that game. So while you might think, okay, this is better for people that are actually playing the game, if you want to do that, you should at least put out the original as well, just in case. That's just my opinion, but preserv- for preservationists, that would be like, okay, uh, maybe uh, the Gettysburg Address that Lincoln scrolled down, maybe there was a comma he forgot to put in, or a period was out of place, and so, alright, I found the original document, uh, I'm just going to ink in that period for you. Whoa, wait a second. That wasn't what the original document was. It might be uh, more grammatically correct or look better now, but what about that original one for posterity? You know, for all time, now you have this version that's that's not what originally Lincoln wrote down. For the same thing for game development, you want the original one. Not saying you can't have an altered one as well, but I don't see a reason not to have the original one available. I just don't. Uh, 
The Real Phoenix said the integrity of the ROM is good. There are alterations, but they are harmless. That's not the point. It's not the point. The original ROM is important to have. Uh, da, 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 da. According to uh, Kotaku, one of the most extreme cases, NES title Hoppin' Mad's unfinished demo was released after a hacker added in additional features. The edited ROM is the only publicly accessible version of that game. I think with that one, a, a, big, a big reason why with Hoppin' Mad was because they wanted to put out a homebrew that you can buy and spend, you know, whatever, 50, 60 bucks on. Uh, so that was their main, the main goal there, I think, was not preservation. It was just, let's make money off of this. So when it's that, when it's that blatant, I can understand the reasoning, which is shitty, uh, for not putting out the original ROM. You want to, you want to make a commercial product. In this case, though, this person seems like they feel like they're doing something, uh, for the better, bettering of the game in the community, but it's, it's not, though. It, it's, it's a, it's sort of a half measure of game preservation, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, game historian, uh, Frank, uh, Cifaldi explains that there are many reasons that the leaked game data might be changed. Enthusiastic hobbyists can be grabbed by the urge to quote unquote fix things they believe are broken. Uh, he said editing Hoppin' Man wasn't a malicious act, Cifaldi said. The idea was to create a fun product for NES collectors to buy and play. Yes, what I said. They were interested in people spending money versus game preservation. You may not think it's malicious. I, I still think it's awful for game preservation. Uh, da da da. Alterations can be made for less altruistic purposes. Investors or collectors might want to keep a very rare commodity to themselves. Uh, Cifaldi even claims that a group of ROM enthusiasts in Japan will watermark games and alter code so they can determine who leaks a file if a game previously kept within their small circles somehow makes it to the wider public. Oh, that's pretty disgusting. ROM enthusiasts that want to hold on to uh, game history for themselves without sharing it. Woo, that's kind of dirty. Now I can see why Ian really wanted to talk about this. It's a terrible practice, Cifaldi said. If people aren't acting as watchdogs and documenting when things have been changed, people are literally rewriting history, like I said. The public ROM for Quick the Thunder Rabbit is playable and should satisfy the curiosity of amateur historians. Blah, blah. So check out the game. I'm hoping that um, he comes to his senses at some point. Someone, someone in the comments says, his game, his decision. He doesn't owe preservation. It's anything. But it's not his game. It's not his decision. He owns the physical cartridge that the copyrighted game there, therein is entombed. He doesn't own that game. People have a hard time wrapping their minds around that concept. Just because you own the physical cartridge of something, like Demon Sword, I don't own the game Demon Sword. I own a cartridge and the license to play Demon Sword on here. I can't do whatever I want with the software of Demon Sword. That's illegal. That's copyright infringement. Um, and you can say, well, Pat, he's sharing the game that's copyright infringement. Well, I rather you then copyright infringe versus preservation before the or the game not being available anywhere versus either making money on it solely or keeping it in a small circle of, of ROM enthusiasts. First time I ever heard that, that's kind of disturbing. Um someone commented uh, on the, the integrity of the ROM being good there are real alterations but they are harmless this person commented uh, UI 2.0 that's such an oxymoron the integrity is lost the moment alterations are made since it's no longer in its original form that's correct unless he keeps an unedited version of that ROM so you actually can go back and see what was the original uh, version so we'll see how this plays out uh, and this is something to worry about more and more not just because 
of the ROMs that already exist out there. But when these stories come out, more and more people either think they can capitalize on selling ROMs that have been altered uh, to the public, or or they think that they can uh, take these games that don't exist and hold on to them uh, for an insane amount of money because they think they're the ones that legally own the quote-unquote art or game held within their prototype cartridge, which, which isn't really true. But it's very rare for these companies that actually own the games to go back out after these guys that, that own these. Uh, there was that Super Nintendo game for the uh, the what, Shadowhawk. The guy went after them for that. But that was more about trademark infringement versus the copyright. That's really the only one off the top of my head where that happened. Time now for the wacky topic of this CU podcast. A GameStop manager arrested for hiding money in ceiling, then reporting as false theft. This is comes from the Daily Republic, which is a South Dakota, I believe, website here. South Dakota. Not many South Dakota stories on the CU podcast. The manager of a Mitchell uh, video game store, Mitchell, MC3K, a Mitchell video game store was arrested after he allegedly hid money in video surveillance in the store's lowered ceiling in what police say was an attempt to steal more than $1,600. Aaron Cooper, 34, of Mitchell, manager of GameStop in Mitchell, was charged with grand theft after allegedly hiding cash and bank deposits in the video game store ceiling. He called it in as an as a robbery to the police, which was even weirder that that he kept it on the premises then. So at 8.30 a.m. on a Wednesday, he called the police to say a man who claimed to have a gun uh, entered the store and took two bank deposits and cash totaling more than $2,000 and the contents of the employee's wallet and placed them in a blue backpack. That's important, the blue backpack. Surveillance footage from a nearby business and a following investigation discredited the employee's claims. Uh, GameStop receipts and keys to GameStop's locks in a binder of 2,070 bank deposits were found hidden in the store's lowered ceiling in a blue-colored backpack. So you're lying that the stuff that you stole is not on the premises, okay? Then for some reason, though, you, you feel the need to keep the color of the backpack the same as the one that you use to store the stolen money and, and deposits in your backpack. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Uh... The, the the officer uh, Everson said it's not uncommon when people lie to mix truth in with their lie. For one, it's easier to lie if there's some basis in reality. Uh, and the store surveillance camera was found hidden in the lowered ceiling in another section. He was arrested on grand theft, uh, value between a thousand and twenty five hundred. Class six felony, punishable up to two years in prison and a four thousand dollar fine. So this genius says, I'm going to steal the money from GameStop. And then I'm going to disable the security camera, and I'll keep everything here. So, I'm not saying there's a good way out of this. I mean, obviously this guy's desperate and or stupid to do this. But you have security cameras all around now in parking lots, other stores, to look at this stuff. But you're going to steal the... Like, when were you when were you planning on getting, you know, taking this stuff from the premises? Like, when were you planning on doing that? The camera's always going to be on outside the stores. They're not going to go off ever. So you're going to hire someone else to come in and take them off the, out of the ceiling. This was not well thought out, which you can say about a lot of these uh, petty criminals, or in this case uh, grand, uh, what is this? Class 6 fel- felony criminal, but I just can't imagine there being a, a, a way he thought this through. Or maybe it's one of those things where as he was doing it, he said, well, I'm screwed 
maybe there is a camera outside, so I better put this in the ceiling, and the officer's going to come in and say, hey, let's let's look here uh, to see what's going on. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. This is a wacky story. It's GameStop. It's the only reason I'm talking about this. This is sort of a sad CU podcast story. Um, a Twitch streamer died during a 24-hour marathon. World of Tanks streamer Brian uh, Poshibrid Vignolt, Poshibrid being his, his name uh, on Twitch, died from unknown causes on February 19th after streaming for 22 hours, 35 years old, father of three. Streaming to uh, raise money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Um, there's video of this, at least his condition. He looks absolutely, I mean, terrible. Absolutely terrible. Um, and then reportedly, um, around around 3.30 a.m., 22 hours of the stream, uh, he went up to go smoke. Viewers thought he'd fallen asleep. Next day, they found him uh, there, and he wasn't responding. So, uh, Virginia Beach, Beach Police Department confirmed that they are investigating uh, uh, the cause of death. He was well-liked among the community for World of Tanks, the game he streamed most often, and many who were close to him are now mourning. They're keeping up his Twitch page as a tribute to him. Um, what can you say about, about this? I mean, it, obviously this is horrible that this happened. Um it's not, it's very hard to go through these, these, these marathons without sleep. I know Ian gets on me, if I can be serious, he gets on me, makes fun of me for trying to sleep even a half hour or an hour during the NES marathons now, but it's so taxing on you mentally, uh, and on your body physically, not uh, depriving yourself of sleep and not saying I was going to die during any of the NES marathons, but you always have that weird possibility if you're not in good health to begin with and you're pushing your body to those sort of limits and you are, you know, deprived, depriving yourself of basically resting your brain, which which is, the, you know, the computer, the CPU of your entire body. You have to not, you have to realize when you're getting to a point where this could be dangerous. And according to this, this is something he did so, sort of regularly where he, he did long streams. And unfortunately, that's where the quote-unquote industry is, or I guess what you have to do to be successful as a Twitch streamer is that it's demanding. We're talking 50, 60 hours a week, if not more, where you have to stream for your uh, followers, people that are paying to see you, or your subscribers in general, in order to keep up with it. Or else, you know what? Those people that are watching Twitch, they'll just go to someone else playing the similar game or someone else. It's constant entertainment that has to be provided. Which is why whenever I think about I want to get into streaming, if I want to uh, sacrifice the time to do that versus doing the podcast, versus doing a more long-form edited video, um, working on a book project... It's the amount of t- is the amount of time and effort worth the risk in me getting that following, and then what's my reward if I stream for 50, 60 hours a week? Yes, it could be fun playing games, but it's also a job. I have a family member that does it as a full time job, and I know it's very hard to keep up with the work because if you're sick, if you want to take time off for either mental health or just because hey, people need time off from quote unquote work, you can easily lose your uh, your followers, subscribers, which means losing your basic income for doing that job. So for me then, when I look at it, streaming becomes it's just, to me, the same thing as, an, as a 9-to-5 or 8-to-5 or 9-to-7 job, 
where you're shackled and have to do this, even if you're not feeling up to the task of doing it, you have to do it. So at that point, it's no longer fun anymore. If it just becomes any other job responsibility. And that's what sort of keeps me from wanting to engage it and wanting to do it. Uh, because it, at least at least trying to think about it being a full-time job. Maybe it's, it's a generational thing. You know, if I'm a teenager, early 20s, maybe I think, well, this is cool, everyone's doing it. I don't know. It's just not for me. But this is a danger. I'm not saying if he wasn't a streamer uh, doing this, pushing himself, this wouldn't happen. I'm not sure how his health was otherwise. But it's not healthy to push yourself without sleep uh, multiple times a week. You know, they've they've studied uh, you know lab rats and deprived them of sleep, and sometimes they die. I mean, this is just it's just you have to rest. Your your brain's telling you to shut down for a reason when you fall asleep. I mean, I, I've fallen asleep. During the, the last NES marathon, Vonnie trying to keep me up. I fell asleep for 10 seconds during the first NES marathon before waking up after uh, an energy drink kicked in. You know, even when you're struggling, struggling for consciousness, when your brain's forcing you to shut down, that's probably for a pretty good reason. So this is a very unfortunate, sad, sad case. Uh, so thoughts out to uh, his friends and family, people that watched uh, Brian... Vignal. It's tragic, especially since he was doing it for a good cause. But uh yeah. Rest rest is uh rest is essential. Sleep sleep deprivation is is serious, serious business. Speaking of Twitch, they they came out with an announcement that I got in my email since I'm technically a Twitch uh partner. Let's see, where is that? Game sales are coming to Twitch soon. This is the email I got. Today we announced a new initiative that's coming soon. Game sales on Twitch with the revenue shared to partners for purchases that originate from your channel page. This program will launch later this spring with titles from Ubisoft, Telltale Games, Hi-Res Studios, Tiny Build, Raw Fury, Devolver Digital, Gambitious, Tryon Worlds, and several more. And will grow to include many more publishers and games in the coming year. Uh, how it works, when you're streaming a game that's available on Twitch... An offer to buy that game or in-game content will automatically appear on your channel page in a new area just be- just below the video window. If you opt, if you opt in, you will get a five percent share of the revenue from all uh, purchases of games and in-game items that originate from your channel page. If you don't opt in, the option to buy the game will still appear on your channel, but you won't receive revenue. So, partners, you might as well freaking do it because it's going to be there whether you like it or not. Opting in is quick and easy. You can do it now, blah, 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 blah. And I can click now to learn how to opt in. I might as well opt in. All right. This is not shocking to me for a few reasons. Uh, Amazon, as you know, uh, just purchased Twitch less than a year ago. So um, they want to make money any way they can to make back their you know billions of dollars. How much should they pay? Uh, how much should they pay for this? They paid a lot of money. So why not? It was $970 million on March 16th of last year. Almost a year. So this is one of the ways that Amazon would make money back. You push people to Amazon. You know, you sell the game to, to the, Yipper, the Yipper Snappers. Whipper Snappers watching on Twitch. And then, you know, this we help recoup our investment. We, we move games. Maybe we help people go to Amazon Prime and push that. Because there's, sometimes there's game deals on Amazon Prime uh, as well. Amazon Prime is fantastic. I finally uh, bit the bullet and I signed up for Amazon Prime. It's a great deal, free shipping. Uh, uh, below there should be a, a link to you know to buy this. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, I, I'm discouraged though that the fact that you have to 
you, you don't have a choice in pushing the game sales. It's just whether or not you're going to get 5%. So in essence, you're doing that. But I wonder if this is going to, unfortunately, if this is a way to encourage partners to play the games that they know that they can at least try and sell from those several publishers. I can picture there being uh, greater incentives l- lobbed at uh, Twitch partners when they think that, oh, this new Ubisoft game is coming out. Uh, I can stream it right away when it's brand new. I can push sales. Hey, maybe I can sell 50 copies. That's 250 bucks to me, you know, or, or whatever, or or more. It's, it's $300. I got 5% of the sales. To me, Twitch has always been a great playground for uh, newer titles, but for retro games, it's obviously not as popular because uh, there's less retro gamers in general. This is not going to help that. This is going to push, I think, more partners to obviously push new uh, game sales. I hope, though, it won't become a crutch, and I hope that uh, Twitch streamers still realize that, hey, for my mental health and for uh, for for my subscribers and followers on Twitch, I should be playing what I want to play, what they want to see, and new games that these publishers are trying to push and sell be damned. I should stick with what I want, and if that happens to overlap with the games that people can purchase on Amazon, uh, then... That's great, but I'm not going to go out of my way to do it. We'll see what happens. I'm going to opt in right now, though, because I'll be stupid not to. Here we are for another YouTube announcement, and one that isn't surprising. They had previously spoken about wanting to do this initiative before Google. But it's going to be YouTube Unplugged offering a cable-free TV subscription service and something that I think is going to be a going to be a winner. So they announced a live and on-demand streaming TV service called YouTube TV on Tuesday, which will cost 35 bucks a month for a family plan of up to 6 accounts. That's important, 6, 6 devices at the same time. That's a decent amount. Expected to launch in the next few months in the US. No plans for international service at this time. You'll have access to up to 40 networks as well as YouTube creator content, like the original content from YouTube Red. Uh, channels include all broadcast channels, which will be your local, you know, NBC, uh, Fox, ABC, CBS, maybe PBS as well, a couple others. Uh, and you're also going to get channels like USA, FX, Freeform, not sure what that is, ESPN, that's a big one, Fox Sports, and NBC Sports. Users can add Showtime and soccer programming for an additional fee. Uh, so this is pretty big news. Now, this stuff existed before with services. I think you have uh, DirecTV has their own version of a smaller sort of uh, on-demand and sort of uh, a la carte service. And of course, Sling TV is the big one where you can pay... I th- Let me look it up right now. Uh, well, you pay, pay a much smaller bill per month. Uh, let's see, Sling.com, and you can get like you know the same sort of amount of channels. You can get ESPN... Yeah, they have different different like Sling. Sling, for example, has a plan for thirty plus channels, including ESPN, CNN, and more. That's twenty bucks a month. Forty or more with Fox, NBC, and others, uh, twenty five uh, a month, and then a forty dollar one, best value, where you get looks like let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times seven. You get about fifty channels for forty bucks a month. So th- these have existed, and the cable companies are now losing. Uh, basically losing blood out of their neck, their aorta, just spurting out money. Uh, because this is what people have demanded cable companies do 
for the past 15, 20 years is have a la carte offerings where, where I'm not forced to buy only one of two plans for, you know, a hundred bucks a month when I can't watch, you know, I'm only going to watch 20 out of these 180 channels. Why not let me choose channels or offer something like this where it's a programming block of the most popular channels, the ones I'm most likely to watch, like ESPN, AMC, CNN, Comedy Central, Cartoon Network, TBS, History, Lifetime, Travel, A&E, uh, Bravo, USA, FX, National Geographic. Like These are ones that, NFL Network, these are all ones that you'd be most likely to watch anyway, so why not just give me all of, the, all of those popular ones, and then let me, if I want to, buy shit like the Golf Channel for extra. You know, from there. Instead of forcing me to buy all these other channels I don't want. So this is only natural that YouTube would do this. And I think it's smart that they're also going to include the YouTube Red program. Because honestly, I don't think people are buying YouTube Red for the exclusive uh, content. Hasn't worked out. Hell, they they canceled PewDiePie Season 2. Season 1 probably didn't set the world on fire. They probably realized we did not get many people uh, on board uh, for YouTube Red because of that. So this is the next step. Let's now have a YouTube system where you watch everything you want. Uh, maybe maybe go ad-free as well. But you're also going to get some cable uh, offerings as well to really cut into that sling composition, uh, competition uh, and then also other stuff as well. What's the DirecTV? I think it's DirecTV Now, it's called. DirecTV Now, starting at 35 bucks a month. So, yeah, DirecTV is on board with this. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised that AT&T and Cox Cable and, and the evil satanic uh, uh, Comcast are, are lagging behind when it comes to this stuff. Because they're they are getting killed, and it's no secret that you know the next generation coming up, uh, for, and in my generation are, are unplugging that we're not bothering with cable anymore for the most part. More and more, the generation behind me certainly aren't growing up with cable subscriptions, and a lot of times they're not growing up with TVs. The you know we're at an all time low for number of you know TV in households. Partially because people don't want to pay 200 bucks a month for cable TV. That includes me. I think I'm paying 160 a month, and I watch maybe 25 channels. I'm an idiot. So I would definitely be on board with something like this. Um, and then in order to do this, you would need something like a, a Chromecast device, which plugs directly into your TV, into the HDMI output. Uh, what does Chromecast go for? They're like, what, 30 bucks? They're not a lot of money uh, for that. There's other devices that can do the same thing. Or... Uh, the vast majority of, of TVs that are coming out now are what, what are called smart TVs, where it has you know uh, YouTube built into it, uh, you have Hulu built into it, built into it, uh, Netflix. They hook up uh, to your Wi-Fi. Um, they have other offerings, so it just makes sense. I think I think the writing's on the wall for these cable companies, and I think uh, I don't care. I have no problem seeing these cable companies die off entirely for screwing everyone for the past you know fifty years. Uh, that they they uh, they they move too too slowly, so they're getting eaten up now by by Google and Sling TV and Direct TV, which is a, more of a traditional cable company, but eh, not really. Uh, but they're they're uh, they're realizing, hey, people want to pay for only the stuff they're going to be using, and if they can save a thousand dollars a year, they can go without that extra channel. You know, like like for example, if you want to get HBO, then yeah, HBO has their own uh, service. You sign up for ten bucks a month or eight bucks a month, whatever. Then you watch HBO, get that on your smart TV and your on your phone. You can watch uh, you know programs on there as well, like uh, you know True Detective and you know Bill Maher and whatever else. You know, so uh, this is great. I will be looking into this, but I might be looking into a sling if it's a little bit less money. But you know, if they if they put in maybe 
if they if they bundle it with the with the YouTube Red stuff with uh, no ads, watching YouTube videos, yeah, it's a good value. I'd be on board for that. And that's it for this uh, CU podcast, Ian. Thank thank you for coming out. It was a lot of fun for even for an hour. If you want to donate to Ian's GoFundMe, it's thepunkeffect.com slash Ian. That'll redirect to his GoFundMe, which is a lot easier to remember. If you want to advertise with the CU Podcast, it's Podcast at thepunkeffect.com. Reach 30,000 listeners every other week. I also have my own podcast that's been starting up. By the time you listen to this, the second episode might be out. Um, it's called Not So Common with Pat Contry, where it's non-gaming uh, non-gaming and, and non, uh, I guess non-movie for the most part. You know, we're talking about uh, politics, social stuff. I talked about why Costco means no universal health care in the near future as a topic. I also spoke about, uh, what else I speak about? Uh, I spoke about more of the PewDiePie fallout and what's been going on there, sort of the ramifications of, of that whole event. So, it's again the Not So Common with Pat Conestry podcast, or just search for Not So Common on, on Stitcher, on iTunes, or on the Google Play Store. And that's going to be a weekly podcast, as much as I can try to do it. I'm going to have guests on. I'm going to line up people like uh, Andre Meadows. I'm going to have Frank as the next guest as we talk about politics and, and the environment with Trump right now and everything else. So check that out. It's Not So Common with Pat Conestry. Uh There's a Patreon. It's uh, for this podcast. If you want to watch the entire video uh, portion and help me out, help me and Ian out, it's patreon.com slash CU podcast. And then you get the full video version before anyone else can ever see it. Oh, you won't see it unless you're on Patreon. So anyway, for Ian Ferguson, who's now home resting because he's in pain still, um, and but thanks, and hopefully he'll come out with a future podcast. No promises. I'm Pat Contry. I will see you in two weeks. <laughs>